It is a privilege to be with each of you this morning. Um, it is an honor when someone gives you their pulpit. Dow has been called by God to be the pastor of this church, and this pulpit is very special. So it is an honor to be with you all today. And I invite you now to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. We'll be looking at verses 34 through 40. Now, some of you just take your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Some of you I know have your phone that you'll use, your cell phone for the Bible. Either way, as we read the Word of God, I think it's important for all of us to be on the same page. While you're looking for Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, I'm going to tell you about what was taking place. One day, God up in heaven was looking down on the earth, and he saw all the mischievous behavior that was going on. So he called over one of his angels, and he sent the angel to earth for a time to go and explore and see what was happening. The angel returned, and he told God, and he said, you're right, it's bad on earth. I'd say about 95% are misbehaving. Only 5% are actually doing good. God thought for a moment and said, you know, maybe I better send down a second angel to go explore and see what he has to say. So he sent down the second angel, and when that angel returned, he said to God, yes, it's true. The earth is in decline. 95% are misbehaving. Only 5% are doing good. Well, you can imagine God was not pleased. So he decided to email the 5% that were doing good because he wanted to encourage them and give them a little something to keep them going. Do you know what the email said? I'm asking, do you know what the email said? Yeah, I didn't get one either. <laughs> I tell you that to get your attention to ask, what kind of email would God send each of us today as he looks at our life and how we're responding to him in our life? With that in mind, turn to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34. And out of honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy word, would you please stand as I read and you follow along? Matthew 22, beginning at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. 
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your presence this morning to study your word. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you have done for us. And Lord, we are especially thankful for your gift of salvation to each of us. Father, we pray right now that you would teach us. Holy Spirit, be present with us and bring forth your power. Give us the wisdom and discernment to study your word and apply it to our life so that we may be faithful witnesses of you, dear Father. Now, Lord, during our time of worship in the word with you now, speak to us, impact us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, amen. Let's go ahead and dive right in to the passage of Scripture. Let me give you a little bit of background information, which is very interesting to look at. First of all, I want to put into context what we're looking at during this entire passage. Now, a little bit of background. If you look at Matthew 22, beginning at the very beginning, you will note that this takes place during the Passion Week. It's the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry on earth. On Monday was a triumphant entry where everybody yelled, Hosanna, glory to the King, and he had the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Tuesday was a different story. Tuesday is whenever he went into the temple and he chased out all the money changers and overturned the tables and stated and said, you have turned my father's house into a den of robbers. My father's house is a house of prayer. Tuesday night, he spent the night with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany. And on Wednesday, he got back up and came into the city and went into the temple and was teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. And while he was in the temple, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees were coming to ask him questions to try to trap him, to try to take away all that the people were giving him attention for. If you look into your scripture of chapter 22, go to verse 15. Verse 15 is where the Pharisees and the Herodians came and they asked Jesus a question that was political in nature. If you remember, they asked the question, is it right to pay the tax to the emperor, to Caesar? Jesus, of course, asked them to look at a Daenerys and said, whose image is on that coin? They said Caesar's, and he said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, rendered unto God what is God's. So the Pharisees and the Rhodians, they went away because they had been stopped, and the people were very impressed. Now, if you go in Matthew 22 and go further on down and pick up in verse 23, the Sadducees now came to try to trap Jesus. Now, you have to know the Sadducees were kind of the aristocratic portion of the religious leaders that were ruling. They were the more liberal party. 
They were the ones that did not believe in a resurrection, so asking this question is kind of unusual. They asked Jesus the question of, there is a woman who's been married seven times. She married a brother, he died. She married the next brother, he died. Married the next brother, you get the idea. To where she outlived all seven brothers and then it came her time to die. So they said to him, when the great resurrection takes place, whose wife will she be? And I love the response that Jesus gave because he said, verse 29, but Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. And he taught them about the resurrection, and he taught them the scriptures. So they went away. Now comes the third encounter with the Pharisees again, and they were happy that the Sadducees had been put down and they had left. So now the Pharisees come and they ask this question. Now, let me just tell you, the Pharisees got together and they sent one of their law experts. When it says in your scriptures that it was a lawyer, one of them that came, you're talking about this was no ordinary scribe. Now, just to let you know, the scribes were the ones who copied the law, interpreted the law, taught the law, used the law, and were experts on the law. But when you talk about the lawyer, he's a cut above all the other scribes. He was what you call the premier law expert. He was the one that knew everything about the law, and he was both a legal authority and a theologian. Because you have to understand, they taught the law, and they talked about the law being important but not only traditional law, but also biblical. So you have to understand why he was a legal expert as well as a theological expert. And so he's the one that comes and asks the question of Jesus. Now, pay particular attention to what the question is, and that gets us to our part, which is important of what is the question. And the question is this, teacher, or some of your translations may say master, which is the great commandment in the law. Now, this is where it gets really, really interesting because when asking the word which, that means looking at a comparative. That's the reason why some of your translations says, what is the greatest commandment? Because which of the laws is great is a comparative. So which means what is the greatest. And they're doing this because they're trying to stump him because they're thinking if he gives an answer that goes against their great lawgiver of Moses, they've got him and they'll embarrass him in front of the people. So when they ask this question, let me give you some more background. Do you know how many laws the Jewish leaders had? They had 613, and this is what's so interesting. 613 laws. Now, I'm gonna bring up something. I know some of you were studying Exodus 20 in your Sunday school class this morning 
about the law that was given out of the love of God to the people. The Ten Commandments, or the Decalogue, okay, the, the law, the Ten Laws. 613 comes from every Hebrew letter that's found in the words of the Ten Commandments. Did you know that there's 613 letters? So they had 613 laws, and they divided those laws into two different parts. There were 248 affirmative laws. Those are the ones that say, thou shall, thou shall, thou shall. And the 248 corresponds to one for every part of the human body. Now, if you're not a mathematician like me, let me just go ahead and give you what the answer is. That leaves 365 left. 365 laws which are known as the negative laws. Thou shall not. Thou shall not. And that's one for each day of the year. So you have to know these Pharisees, these religious leaders were pretty hardcore about the law and the commandments for the people. Oh, but it gets more interesting. They took the laws and they divided it into where there was a lighter law and a heavy law. Now, you can already imagine. The light law is kind of like, eh, consequences are not so bad if you break that law. The heavy law is, woe be unto you if you break this particular law or these that are known as the heavy laws. Now, as you can imagine, with 613 laws, and you can imagine the divisions of the shalls and the shall nots, and you can imagine the division between the light laws and the heavy laws, there was a lot of debate over which were the heavy ones and which were the light ones. Let me just give you an illustration. If you're a parent, you understand when you're raising your children that there are negotiables and there's non-negotiables. Am I right? When Ashley, my niece, came to live with me as my daughter, we had a sit-down talk. And I explained to her what the negotiables were. Eh, you know, we'll slide on it. But then there was the other side of, but we have non-negotiables. And if you break the non-negotiables, we will have a come-to-Jesus meeting. <laughs> kind of almost like right here. A come-to-Jesus meeting. Am I right, parents? Is that kind of the way it is? So the child already knows beforehand, sometimes it's serious, sometimes it's not so serious. But when it's serious, it's really serious. So that's what was going on with these Pharisees. So because they were debating back and forth, they came to ask Jesus, so you tell us, teacher, master, what is the greatest commandment? Without hesitancy, Jesus speaks from the Shema, which is the law that was given through Moses by God. And if you turn over, or I'll just read it for you, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. See, these Pharisees believed that Moses was a supreme lawgiver. 
And this was given by God that Moses gave to the people. This of Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 and 5 was repeated twice a day, morning and evening. It was taught to children. It was written on the forehead. It was written on the doorpost. It was written on an armband. It was something that everybody knew from childhood all the way up. And Jesus responded without hesitancy, love the Lord your God with everything. Now, you're probably saying to me, time, why do we need to know all this stuff? Just get to the main part. I think it's important to know the background so that you know the environment and the motivation of what is taking place. If you look at chapter 3, you'll even see, in fact, I challenge you today, go to chapter 23 of Matthew and see how many times Jesus says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees. Because what he's pointing out is, just because you know the law, just because you are trying to make others obey the law, please understand You have external, but not internal. And there's a difference. It's kind of almost like my mama used to say, you know, that boy over there, bless his heart. I love that word. It's a a special kind of Southern expression. You know, that boy over there, bless his heart, got a whole bunch of degrees, a lot of diplomas on the wall, but bless his heart, he ain't got a lick of common sense. You know people like that. I'm not going to ask if you're a person like that because I'd have to be pointing back at me. Amen, I heard that, brother. See, you can know anything and everything about anything. But if you can't apply it and understand it, it's just useless knowledge. The reason why you need to know the knowledge is so you can apply it. And that's what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, these scribes, these religious leaders, everybody that's gathered. It's not a matter of just knowing the law and reciting the law. It's a matter of putting the law in your heart and understanding the motivation behind what it means. Loving the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your might, your everything. And that's where it gets a little interesting. So knowing all that background, I'm going to look at that word love. Now, the word love in the Hebrew refers primarily to the love that's found in the will, the love of the mind, the determination, love that comes from action rather than just feeling. It involves the love of emotion, but not controlled by emotion, but the emotion that results in praise. It's not just the love you feel, it's the love of dedication and commitment. Now, that's the love that you find in Deuteronomy, in the Hebrew. When you come to the words that Jesus is saying here in the Greek, the word that's used is agapo. We use in our culture the word love 
for affection, for feeling good. In the same paragraph, in the same breath, in the same sentence, we may say, I love my truck. Uh Uh-huh, get her done. My truck, I love my super duty truck. I love chocolate ice cream. It makes me smile. I love my girlfriend, she makes me happy. I love that movie. It made me feel something and feel good. That's not the love that Jesus is talking about. And that's the reason why we have to go beyond our culture and look at what's going on in Hebrew thought and in Jesus' mind as the Son of God in teaching where he says the love I'm talking about is the love where you determine no matter what, there is the will of loving. Now, so many times we love God because of what he does for us. It's kind of hard to love him when bad things happen to, shall we say, those 5% people that got that email that they're good people. How do you love when you can't really sit down and physically see God? Even though he reveals himself in every aspect of your life. He reveals himself in the heavens. His glory comes forth. He reveals himself in things that happen in your life. God is all around us. In fact, the challenge that I have is as you walk through life today, look to see where God is revealing himself to you through nature, through people, through circumstances and situations. To have a deep An abiding love of God means that the most important thing in your life is the love of God. It's no hokey pokey. It's not, I'll love you today and I won't love you tomorrow. You know how you put your right foot in and your right foot out and you shake it all around? Parents know that too. How many times you played hokey pokey with your kiddos? That's right. No, no, no. It's a commitment kind of love. It's where you make the main thing the main thing. Loving God with everything. Now, very quickly, before the Methodists beat us to lunch at the cafeteria, let's look at the second part of this question. The second part is where it says, and the second is likened unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when it says the second is like it, It's not saying this is a second command. This is saying they are connected. It's like flowing out of love of God is the love of your fellow man, the love of your neighbor, the love of others. It is like taking a coin and it's the two sides of the coin. This is the love coin where you love God and what flows out is the love of others. That's why he says, and the second is like to it. It flows out of it. You love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's interesting that he puts on there as yourself. It almost is a reference. In fact, it is of remember whenever he taught in the Sermon of the Mount and he taught the golden rule, do to others as you would want them to do to you. It's a hard thing to remember, but we try to teach it to our children, especially when older brother beats up younger brother. Hey, 
do to him what you want to have done to you. And then what's funny is when younger brother grows up and is three inches taller and 50 pounds heavier than older brother, and oh well, sometimes vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. <laughs> the point is, we love God completely. And in loving God completely flows out the love of us and the desire to sacrificially love others. Jesus says, love your enemies. Now, let me tell you the reason why he said this is because the Jewish religious leaders were also so good in this too. There were certain people that ranked in certain different ways of how love came to them from the fellow Jewish people. Now, the constancy was everybody needed to love God. But depending upon whether you were a Samaritan, a beggar, a poor person, a Gentile, and the list goes down, you came a little bit further out on the fringes of how much love a good Jewish religious person had to show you. So you can understand that whenever he goes back and quotes Leviticus 19, going back to the Mosaic law about loving your neighbor, he's making it in an application again. It's not about you deciding who gets to be loved and what level of love. You love everybody to the same extent that you love yourself. That's why he says, loving others like you love yourself. Now, loving ourself. Wives, you know about loving ourselves when husbands get sick, right? And I can say that because I'm not a husband, but I hear things. I hear stories. I hear wives saying, you know, when my husband gets sick, he's a big baby. Now, men, I'm not saying that's happening. I'm just saying some of the wives have told me these things. In fact, these are great tweets that I've seen online. Tweets about wives talking about their husbands when they get sick. One tweet is, my husband and I both have the flu. The only difference is I'm cleaning the kitchen and he's dying. <laughs> this is the best. My husband has a cold. Right now, we're using Google Maps to plot the quickest routes to the local emergency rooms. Please pray for us. The greatest one, a wife says, I'm setting up a carrying bridge site for my husband's cold so everyone can keep up with the latest developments. Now, just to say, husbands, if you're that way, or I don't know, husbands, you may have wives that are that way, that ain't loving one another to the same extent. Now, trust me, though, couples, as they grow old together and they are helpmates to one another and they have that commitment love till death do us part, there may come a time where one spouse will have to care for the other as the aging process kicks in. It is a beautiful 
example of love to see that spouse sacrificially taking care of the other spouse, no matter what it takes in commitment of time, resources, or just availability and emotions. That's the kind of love Jesus is talking about when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. I got to tell you this other one. It really has nothing to do with it, but it's kind of funny. Poor Bob was trying to be a good husband, but unfortunately one day when he came home from work, he realized he had forgotten his wife's birthday. Well, as you can imagine, (laughs) she had not forgotten her birthday. And she reminded him it was her birthday. And she looked at him and she said, I'm just telling you when tomorrow afternoon comes, there better be something in the driveway that goes from zero to 200 in six seconds. Well, Bob got up the morning, next morning, went to work. His wife was in bed. As she got up later, she looked out, and there in the middle of the driveway was a box. She was puzzled, didn't know why there was a box in the middle of the driveway, so she went out there. So I was from Bob. She carried it in. She went inside, and much to her... Uh, we'll just use the word amazement. Much to her amazement, inside the box was a brand new weight scale. <laughs> Bob's been missing since Friday. How do you show love to other people? Now, to wrap up right here, here's the bottom line. The first commandment, love the Lord your God with everything. The second commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and both of those are two sides of the same coin. And the thing in verse 40 says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. It covers all of the 613 laws. Because now the motivation for living life God's way is to love him, and out of that love flows the love of others. If you turn over to Luke chapter 10, well, you don't have to do it because I know we're trying to beat the other denominations to the cafeteria or the Zestos today. But anyway, Luke chapter 10 is where another question is asked of Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, of course, says, well, what does the law say? Well, love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered well, you're very close. And then he gives a parable of who is my neighbor. And if you remember, we refer to it as a good Samaritan parable where there was an individual that had gotten beaten up by robbers, was left in the gutter there, bleeding, no money, no funds, nothing. And along came several people. We'll even throw in a priest in there, it says, a scribe, some others, the religious people, and they passed by on the other side and did nothing. But the Samaritan who the Jewish people were taught to put on the outside circle of loving them sacrificially and importantly. 
is the one that sacrificially gave of his time, his money, in caring for him. And so Jesus said, who of these individuals was the one that showed the compassion? Well, it was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, you need to go and do just like the Samaritan. And the word there is we treat others no matter where they are, whether enemy, whether an outlaw versus an in-law in our family, whatever, we treat them with the same love and respect that God gave to us through the love of Jesus Christ. Now, let's pull this all together, and I'm going to ask you the question. So, what are you going to do about it? You've heard the background. You've heard Jesus' answer to the question. And now each of us need to respond of where we are in this passage. What kind of email is God going to send to me for encouragement? And part of encouragement is exhortation. And part of exhortation is, hey, Bubba, let's pull up a mirror and let's talk about some things. You know, when we truly understand how God loved us, while we were still sinners. And sinners are enemies of God because our sin separates us from God. He died for us. And as you remember, the setting of this particular discourse takes place where a few days later, Jesus will go to the cross and die for the sins of you, me, all of humanity. No greater love has this than a friend would lay down his life for his friends. Now, when you understand the value of being rescued from your sin, being changed from an enemy of God to one who is with him through Christ Jesus, who gave his life out of love for us, then you can understand how to look at all of God's creatures. Whether they may be enemies to you, they're still God's creation. And we need to find a way to show them the same love that God showed to us. I'm going to conclude by telling you this little story. Johnny, four years of age, was so excited when his dad came home from work. And of course, some of you have been there before. As soon as you open the door, little Johnny runs out from his room, grabs hold of the leg of his dad. And says, oh, daddy, 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 I'm so glad you're home. I'm so glad you're home. And as Mr. Jones pulls himself into the house with his briefcase in hand, little Johnny's attached to that right leg holding on. Mr. Jones sits down, puts his briefcase to the side, begins to pick up the newspaper to kind of relax a little bit before dinner. And Johnny's right there, and he said, oh, daddy, 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 I had a great day at school. Daddy, 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 how was your day? And he kept constantly interfering with the quiet time that Mr. Jones wanted to have. So in the newspaper, he saw a picture of a world. So he opened up the drawer there by the recliner and pulled out a pair of scissors and cut it out of the newspaper. And then he cut it into little pieces and gave all the pieces to Johnny. And he said, I tell you what, Johnny, go to your room and put together this puzzle of the world. And when you're finished, you come back and we'll talk. Johnny's so excited. goes, oh, daddy, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you. And he goes off to his room. 
It's not but a few minutes later, little Johnny comes back with a completed puzzle. And Mr. Jones looks at Johnny and says, Johnny, you've never seen the world. How could you put together a picture of the world so quickly? And Johnny said, oh, Dad, that was easy. Because on the back of the picture of the world was a picture of a man. And when I put the man together, the world came together. The point is, where are you in relationship with Jesus Christ? Is he at the center of your world? He's the only one that can put you together and make you understand the joy of loving him with everything and how to love others. So my challenge to you today is if you're not a believer, talk with Kevin, talk with me. Talk with anybody down front here so that we can talk to you about what it means to accept Jesus Christ and what he did for us in making us be friends with God through his death and resurrection. If you're a believer and you're struggling, come down front, talk with Kevin. But do not leave here today without putting your world together in him and finding the joy of your salvation. Because when each person is completed in him, then the world comes together because we love others the way he loves us.